Good morning. It's a wonderful day to come together to praise the Lord. The call for worship this morning comes from Psalm 66. Shout with joy to God, all the earth. Sing with glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. Come and see what God has done. How awesome his works are on man's behalf. He turned the sea into dry land and they passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. He rules, his eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. Praise our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard that he has, he has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. We come to your temple with burnt offerings to fulfill our vows to you. Vows our lips promised and our mouths have spoken when we were in trouble. We sacrifice fat animals to you and an offering of rams. We will offer bulls and goats. Come and listen, all you who fear God, and let us tell each other what he has done for us. How we cried out to him with our mouths, his praise was on our tongues. If we had cherished sin in our hearts, then the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard our voices in prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected our prayers or withheld his love from us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather this morning, we gather not only to remember the work you have done, but to celebrate the work you are doing. May, you give, may we give you the things of this week that may have hindered us in our relationship with you. May we know your healing of our hearts and your encouragement in our disappointment. As your family, Lord, you have gathered us and we desire to hear your voice and know your presence. Help us to draw to mind the good blessing we have received from you. Draw us closer to you and refresh us here today. In our gratitude, receive the praise of you from our hearts. Amen. The reading this morning is from the book of Galatians, chapter 6, and it can be found on page 238. Galatians chapter 6. My friends, if someone is caught in any kind of wrongdoing, those of you who are spiritual should set him right, but you must do it in a gentle way, and keep an eye on yourselves so that you will not be tempted too. Help carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will obey the law of Christ. If you think you are something when you really are nothing, you are only deceiving yourself. 
you should each judge your own conduct. If it is good, then you can be proud of what you yourself have done, without having to compare it with what someone else has done. For each of you has to carry your own load. If you are being taught the Christian message, you should share all the good things you have with your teacher. Do not deceive yourselves. No one makes a fool of God. You will reap exactly what you plant. If you plant in the field of your natural desires, from it you will gather the harvest of death. If you plant in the field of the Spirit, from the Spirit you will gather the harvest of eternal life. So let us not become tired of doing good, for if we do not give up, the time will come when we will reap the harvest. So then, as often as we have the chance, we should do good to everyone, and especially to those who belong to our family in the faith. See what big letters I make as I write you now with my own hand. The people who are trying to force you to be circumcised are the ones who want to show off and boast about external matters. They do it, however, only so that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Even those who practice circumcision do not obey the law. They want you to be circumcised so that they can boast that you submitted to this physical ceremony. As for me, however, I will boast only about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. For by means of his cross, the world is dead to me, and I am dead to the world. It does not matter at all whether or not one is circumcised. What does matter is being a new creature. As for those who follow this rule in their lives, may peace and mercy be with them, with them and with all of God's people. To conclude, let no one give me any more trouble because the scars I have on my body show that I am the slave of Jesus. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, my friends. Amen. Heavenly Father, having heard your word, and as we now consider what we have heard read, May you strengthen us and reaffirm us in the truth that we know. But may we also hear afresh from you that our knowledge and understanding of that truth which is eternal would be greater and that our lives would be changed by the working of your Spirit. Amen. Until quite recently... I was a teacher. I taught maths. But um, I also quite liked doing a lot of things outside of the classroom. And so I had a hill leading certificate, which meant I could take people on expeditions. I had a first aid certificate and other things. So I took charge of the Duke of Edinburgh expedition training for the pupils that wanted to get the Duke of Edinburgh awards. To get a bronze award, the pupils had to plan an expedition. It had to involve two days, they had to camp overnight, and they had to plan the route themselves, but they also had to carry everything they required from the moment they set off till the moment they arrived at their destination, 
which included their camping equipment, the tents, the cooking, any food they were going to eat, clothing should anything happen or go wrong, and so on. And they would share this out amongst them. As a supervisor, I wasn't to necessarily interfere. Obviously, when they were training, I could give them guidance. But when they arrived, I'd observe how well they'd shared the burdens out amongst themselves, check they'd packed their rucksacks suitably, and, and then let them go. I had a copy of the route that they were intending to follow. For my part, because I was the first aider, I took to following on from behind, but at a distance where I couldn't be seen to give any assistance or interfere in what they were doing. On one occasion, when the weather was pretty much like it is today, I came across a team that had come to stop in the middle of a field. They were about two miles away from a road, but one of the team had slipped and injured their leg. Now, I found out whilst I was tending to them that this was a reoccurring injury, but they'd chosen not to let anyone know about it because they hadn't wanted to not come. Ahead of them was a single-track walk across the top of cliffs, and behind them were several hills and fields that they'd already crossed. I did what I could to tend to the injury, which wasn't a great deal, but did enable the girl to be able to stand again and carry on for a short while. But what impressed me most, and the reason I'm telling you this story, is the other members of her team, without any word from myself, just naturally took her rucksack and started to empty it. And they took what they could and put it into their own rucksacks. And then the strongest member of the team took the rucksack itself and anything that was left in it and carried it with their own. And as a team, they got themselves to the destination. And I was really impressed. I had anticipated things working out slightly differently. My only responsibility then was to make sure that no member of the team took too much. Because, of course, if they took too much at that point, I was likely to end up with three or four injured members of a team rather than just one. But they were quite wise. And they shared things out according to their abilities. It's easy when you see something like that happen, and when you read a passage like this today, to say how this is an excellent picture of how we as a family of God should be in our spiritual walk together. Each person does their fair share, taking care of those who have slipped, or if we're talking spiritually, we talk of those who have sinned. When one person is no longer able to cope with their burden, then out of our responsibility and care for each other, we share out that burden and help everyone to obtain the goal of finishing well. And in the same way, this is the language Paul is using here. When he talks of someone caught in sin... It's with the same tone and the same grammar you'd use to describe someone who'd slipped or got stuck on ice. They quite literally had fallen into that sin. That each one is responsible for their own pack, but that also each one is looking out for the well-being of others, sharing and helping as required. It does sound good. But of course the reason I remember this situation is It was an exception rather than the rule. It wasn't what normally happened when these things happened. There were plenty of teams I observed that where they lost patience with one another, especially by the second day when they hadn't slept so well in their tents and they hadn't realized they were quite as prepared for the weather as they should have been. 
they lost their patience. Those that were more able would take to striding off ahead because they could no longer bring themselves to wait for the weaker members. But most common complaint was, I'm doing more than my fair share. They didn't see the people that were carrying less or walking slower as being weaker. They saw them as people that were chancing their arm and just couldn't be bothered to make the effort. So why should they be held back by these weaker members? Why should they carry more? And if we're honest, that's maybe more common to our own attitudes than the first. Paul writes here that we should share with one another and we should share with those that teach and we should share with those that need. Sharing's great. Being generous is good until you feel like someone's taking advantage of you. And you ask yourself that question, why am I doing all the giving and they're doing all the taking and who's looking out for me? And then, of course, there's the big question at the start where Paul says, if someone sins, restore them gently. But how often have you felt that in your gentleness, the person that's sinning is taking advantage of that and carrying on in their own way? And actually what they really need isn't gentleness at all. It's a good dose of proper discipline. And if someone's sinning is upsetting other people, then it's good and right that we tell them about it. And all these excuses that life's just too difficult for them just now and things are getting too hard for them, we've all got problems. So why should they get mollycoddled? If we mollycoddle people, they will never learn. If we keep helping them out, they'll never learn to stand on their own two feet. Surely that's what the world would tell us. That's wisdom. And of course, restoring a sinner gently is fine until you're the one that's been sinned against, when you're the one that's been hurt and you're the one that's suffering. How often have you heard the complaint that there are too many do-gooders about going around helping people, being understanding, when really what most people need is just a good kick up the backside? It's not what Paul is saying. Well, you do wonder if Paul is talking from naivety, and often as Christians you may be accused. I have in the past of being naive. Letting people take advantage of you and other such da- nonsense. But in this passage, there's a good clue, a good hint that Paul wasn't naive to this. He knew that the argument I've just given you and the, the attitudes that people have, they were common amongst Christians then as they are now. But that's also why in the midst of telling us to share with one another, to love one another, to be as a family, to be together, having spent the whole letter talking against the divisions, he then turns to the individual and says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves without comparing themselves to anyone else. For each should carry their own load. At first, these verses can appear like Paul suddenly reversing the direction of everything he's been talking about. Instead of talking about how we work together and how we should love one another, all of a sudden he's turned the focus on the individual. But it's not in the same way that we often hear, pandering to that selfish individualism that so plagues us here in the West. Testing your works. Self-examination, 
it's not something we often focus on as Christians. In fact, it sometimes feels like it goes against everything we've been taught in our own very nature. But here Paul is calling, calling for an honest self-awareness of who we are and what we do. But still, if I was to just say to you that we should self, have a practice of self-examination and leave it at that, I'm sure there would be many of us that are just repulsed by the idea I know myself for a period of time, um, if you know Deans Buchanan, who I spent some time with talking about different spiritual disciplines, that I screamed and yelled at the idea of many such things. But we don't like the idea of examining ourselves, testing our own work. Sometimes it's because of the pop psychology that we see in the bookshelves. All the different kind of self-help books, which all apparently promise to give us answers to various problems in our lives. And too often all they really do is help us to indulge the problems in our lives rather than provide any solution at all. Maybe your objection to self-examination would be the practical one. You struggle enough as it is to remember to read your Bible and pray each day. If you then are given something else you're meant to be doing every day as a Christian, well, where are you going to squeeze that in? Do we really have enough time to sit and test our works? Or maybe a common complaint is this is just medieval mysticism. If we are to sit and meditate on our works, then we're going back to the work of the monks. Ironically, all the way throughout Christian history, testing your works and taking periods of self-examination were a major part of a Christian's life. Going right back to Augustine's Confessions and Thomas Akempis, The Image of Christ through to Jonathan Edwards and his resolves and the Puritans, and quite through evangelical history as well. For my own part, my biggest fear of self-examination is condemnation. In those times in my own life when things aren't going so well, the last thing I need is to sit with God and have him point the finger at me too. If other people are telling me what I'm doing wrong, why do I need God to then point out to me what I'm doing is wrong too? And too often self-examination for some people has just become another situation of reminding ourselves what terrible sinners we are and reminding ourselves to confess our sins and reminding ourselves how much God forgives us. But that isn't all that happens here. Notice Paul's positive spin but it's not spin the positive way in which Paul says let each test his own works so that they can rejoice they can be confident in what they have done condemnation just increases guilt and Paul is not talking here of us needing to sit down and remind ourselves what terrible people we are all that does is draw us away from the Lord and that truly is focusing on yourself instead of the Lord Testing your works is not an opportunity to wallow in pity or to sit there and go back through the arguments of the day and justify yourself. Testing your works, examining yourself, is an opportunity to come before the Lord and to have him speak to us about our day. If we desire to be called disciples 
then it is important to give time to God to allow him to speak to us about our actions. Psalm 139, which you may be familiar with, says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The Lord said to Jeremiah in chapter 17, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a person according to their conduct, according to what each deserves. One practice, if I could take a moment to give some instruction, because there there are many ways of doing this. One practice is to take a little time late in the evening to sit somewhere and quietly begin with a prayer. Asking the Lord that by his spirit, he would bring to mind the, th- the things that he desires you to consider. Not everything that you do in a day, and not everything that happens in a day, needs to be gone over. Not every issue needs to be drug- drugged up, dragged up, brought up. There is no need to sit and rehearse all the arguments. But it's a time for the Lord to bring to mind the things that he wishes to talk to you about. To enable you to consider your motives in the presence of the Lord. And that's the important part, that it is in the presence of the Lord. Why is it that something has bothered you so much? Or alternatively, to take time and reflect and thank God for the good that he has done in our day. Not every conversation with God ends up with us being sorry for what we have done. Though as we allow God to shine a light on our lives, then it gives him an opportunity to work in our lives. I know that some practice going further and writing down what they believe the Lord has said to them or what has come to mind in a journal. But we need to understand that a journal is different to a diary because it is not a record of what you have or haven't done. It's a record of what the Lord has said to you. And maybe over time you'll realize there are some things the Lord has said to you over a period of time. If we come before the Lord openly and honestly, there will be times when we know his pleasure as well as his guidance and his correction. It is hope that as we test our actions, we will grow closer to the Lord and rejoice in him. Why is it Paul calls for us to do this? Well, he mentions it himself. That if we do not stop to consider ourselves in the presence of the Lord, then it's possible that we get an overinflated idea of ourselves. It's also possible that we don't realize how little or how much we are growing in the Lord. By coming to the Lord, it encourages us to be more honest with ourselves. But it also gives us a greater sense of the amazing things that God has done. Always remembering how much of a miracle it was that he who is perfect should take on our sin. Most importantly, if we test our works and allow God to examine us, it not only brings us into closer fellowship with God, but actually makes us of greater benefit to the family of God. If we are spiritually minded, 
then we are in a better place to help those that have fallen. If we are spiritually minded, aware of our position in the Lord and upon the rock on which we stand, then we are less likely to try and correct someone from a position of assumed power or authority over them, but more likely to act from a place of humility and understanding. If we're in the habit of taking things to the Lord, when a brother or sister acts in a way that offends or hurts us, we will find it easier to correct them, not in anger or pain, which in itself can cause us to sin in return, but from a place where we honestly care and love the person who has sinned. And if you do feel like someone has taken advantage of your generosity, then in coming to the Lord, we become more aware of how much the Lord has done for us. And that our generosity comes from the abundance with which he has blessed us in the first place. So if anyone is taking advantage, it is the Lord that they are taking advantage of. And it is the Lord who will bear the burden. Often, we can think ourselves as good people who occasionally sin. It's also easy to think of other people as bad people who occasionally do good. But spending time with the Lord not only brings a great awareness of how much sin has affected everything in the world that we live, but it also brings with it a greater awareness of how amazing the grace that God shows and the good that he does is. Paul says that when someone sins, it is the desire of those who are spiritual to restore them gently. Remember how gentle the Lord has been with us. Those times in our lives when the burdens we carry have become too much for us. When we have neither sought nor received help. Times when in our weakness we have sinned and not behaved as we believe we should. Yet the Lord does not condemn us. For that condemnation would only increase the sense of guilt and drive us away from him. But he does convict us. He convicts us so that we may repent and return and be drawn closer to him. That we can again experience that forgiveness. We come to the Lord who helps us with our burdens. And it's this work that Paul is calling us to be a part of in each other's lives. To join in the work that the Lord is already doing. As a people that God has drawn together, we are called to live in the freedom and the grace that comes from him. The burdens that we are to carry, our responsibilities, is that we join in the Lord in his work as he cares for others as well as ourselves. And as today we celebrate communion, it is worth remembering the actions of Christ. Christ who has the absolute authority and power Christ who is someone above us all and yet did not count it anything to leave his throne and become as one of us. Christ who was rejected repeatedly by those that he came to save, by those he desired to help, who was rejected by those he loved and yet he still went to the cross for us. But why? Because his desire is that we would be reconciled to him and to each other. In all this, it was not us who suffered, but Christ. 
It can seem like a tall order to love one another as Christ loves us. Yet it begins by realizing all that we have is not from us, but from him. This is why, despite all the many mighty acts Paul did, all the scars he had, all the things Paul could have boasted about, he finished his letter by saying, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, except in the cross of Christ my Lord. Amen. It is now our privilege to pray for others. At small sections here, it would be of great help and blessing. I'm going to say a phrase, Dear Lord, help us to carry their load. If you would join in with me at that point, I would be very grateful. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we come before you to offer up our prayers for others and for ourselves. We live in a world of burdens and blessings, a world of great inequality where many have more than they can use in food and material things and others have hardly enough to sustain life and a meaningful existence. Teach us, Lord, we pray, to see helping the weakest among us near and afar, not as a burden, but a sacred blessing. Dear Lord, help us to carry their load. Today we think in particular of Sheila Mackenzie, one of our family who has gone out to Malawi to teach and learn. This will be a life-enhancing experience, but one not without grief, knowing Sheila for she will look upon those happy, laughing, education-hungry children and long to feed them as much knowledge as she gives to the children she teaches back here in Glasgow. Help her and the other teachers with her, we pray, Lord, to accept that they are giving all they can in the time that they have and not to feel crushed by the weight of guilt. Dear Lord, help us to carry their load. We pray, Lord, for those among us who silently bear the heavy burdens of diminishing strength, ill health and financial fears. People who in other times have rushed to aid others weaker than themselves and yet now feel shy about asking for a helping hand. Show us the way to help them in love and without seeming patronising. Dear Lord, help us to carry their load. We pray, Lord, for our friend Lionel, who has come to guide our steps for a little while. Give him the strength and love he will need For we are a strange and wonderful fellowship. Let him feel truly welcome in this sacred place. We pray, Lord, for our dear Minister Catriona, that this time of sabbatical will leave her refreshed 
and renewed in spirit and body, ready to lead us again in laying all that we are at the foot of your cross. Dear Lord, help us to carry their load. Finally, dear Lord, we pray for ourselves. Help us to carry the burden of others to the best of our talents, our abilities, our purses. But, dear Lord, shield us from the sin of smugness, of thinking that we are the generous givers, whilst others are the needy receivers. Remind us, Lord, that when we give, in the spirit of our Lord Jesus, who gave all expecting nothing, we receive back blessings tenfold in the joy of knowing we have eased another's pain, another's hunger, another's grief. Dear Lord, help us to carry their load. All this we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. May the Lord God of heaven and earth sustain us in the week ahead. May his Son, our Saviour, be always the first in our hearts and minds. And may his Spirit work wonderfully within us, that we would be the witnesses he has called us to be. Mm -hmm.